touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And Lauren, you pulled an interesting quote that I'm going to read out at the top of this episode before we really get into the topic. This is a quote from a fellow named Greg Coomer who said, There's a strong desire from our customers that we've heard for a long time. They love all those game titles, but they also like their families. And whenever they had to go into the living room, they've had to abandon everything they loved about the games in the other room of the house. Uh, so here's a problem, right? I mean, if you're a serious video gamer, particularly if you're a serious PC gamer and you love those games, but you also want to, you know, not estrange yourself from your family, occasionally you have to move away from the gaming computer. Sometimes you have to stand up from your from your game chair, leave all of your, you know, cans of mellow yellow behind. Yeah. And your 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 your, your Fritos and. Doritos and other salty snacks. Okay, we, we are officially uh, talking down to the no, segment of the population. This is me that... actually talking about myself. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to suggest that there is a stereotype. I'm just saying that if there is, I fit it. At any rate, no. What if you could solve this problem? What if you were able to bring the joy of the video games... Of PC games, specifically. ...into the realm of the living room with the rest of your family? That, in fact is the promise that we hope the Steam Box will deliver upon. Or at least that's what they, they're hoping. Well, that is certainly what they're hoping, yeah. So we're talking about Steam Boxes, y'all. Yeah, this is this is Valve's entire crazy idea, or maybe not so crazy idea. We will find out soon, because yeah. the first ones are debuting this year. We'll definitely talk about some of the 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 perceived pros and perceived cons. But before we get into all of that, it probably would help us to give a quick rundown on what Valve is, who they are, why are they a big deal. And why they're trying to produce this living room console for PC gamers. Yeah. So let's let's uh, first of all, obviously, this is going to be another video game episode. So everyone who hates video games, stick with it, because this is actually kind of interesting from an industry point of view. Right. Absolutely. This is talking about trying to create a new market. So. Let's talk about Valve. For those of you who are not into computer games, you may not know that much about Valve. You may have played a few of their titles because some of the titles have been ported to consoles. Mm-hmm. Things like Left 4 Dead and, you know, uh, even the Half-Life games, obviously. Portal's kind of big. Portal, yeah. A little game called Portal, still alive. Uh, so in 1996, that's when Gabe Newell and, uh, and, and Mike Harrington both had left the company they had worked for for several years, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Both of them had made bukus of cash. They were very successful at Microsoft, yes. Yes. Uh, and so they left Microsoft and they launched a gaming company called Valve LLC. That was right there in Bellevue, Washington. Yep, just a few miles away from the headquarters of Microsoft. And their first title that they started to develop was Half-Life. They collaborated with another former Microsoft employee named Michael Abrash, who was working at id Software. And so he helped Harrington and Newell get a license for a little thing called the Quake engine to act as the uh, the physics engine for Half-Life. Right. Kind of the, the backbone. Exactly. So that gave them a, a big leg up, right? You know, they had this licensing agreement, so they didn't have to build their own physics engine from the ground up for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Half-Life would launch in 1998. Yep. Two years later. And in fact, the publisher was Sierra Online because Valve was not a publisher at this point. They right. were a developer. And so... 
Uh, the game, um, you probably have heard of it, Half-Life, uh, turned out to be a huge hit. Yes. They also, in 1998, acquired a company called TF Software Pty, which was a company that had developed a mod for the Quake engine called Team Fortress. This would come in handy later on. Yeah, Team Fortress, also another big title that uh, a lot of gamers are are fond of. I've watched gameplay. That game moves faster than I can think, so I've never actually sat down for it. <laughs> uh, so another thing that made Valve really important really early on, you know, they, they made uh, this other game. Other than this great title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the title resonates with the gamer community. But beyond that, Valve actually opens up a software developer kit for free that people can download, which would allow them to create their own mods of, of Half-Life. Life. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to create a community of players that are not just players, but creators. And that was, that was really innovative for the time. Not that many video game companies were willing to do that with their code. Yeah, and you, you saw Especially it. not big big title right. things. Right. You, you could see it in things like Doom. Like right. there, there were Doom mods out there. And there were some mods that were completely uh, unauthorized mods uh-huh. that came out. But this was a company saying, you no, know... No, please. We want to see what you're going to do yeah, with this. Yeah, make stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and people did. In fact, you started to see some pretty incredible ones, including one that would become an, an insanely popular game in its own right, Counter-Strike. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2000, uh, Harrington left Valve. So Newell was left behind to be kind of the, the head and, uh, head of the company and as well as, you know, very public facing figure. Right. He's somewhat controversial sometimes. He, he likes, he likes saying things a lot and, yes. and, and frequently they're very energizing, wonderful things. And sometimes they're very inflammatory. They're, they can be a little brassy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's not, got some sass. Yeah. He's not necessarily one of those who speaks in a corporate, uh, speak. No. You know, he, he's very plain spoken. Uh, 2002 at the game developer conference. That's GDC. Uh, big, big event for video games. Valve unveiled Steam, which obviously is going to be very important in this, in this episode to talk about Steam boxes. So Steam, uh, was really an, is an online digital platform. It was meant as a digital distribution platform originally, mostly for things like, uh, putting out game patches and updates. As, uh, right. It wasn't a full store to begin with. These right. days it's a, it's a store, but then it was really just to have a smoother interface for, for getting those important little bits of, of update to games that people were playing. Right. So if a game goes out and there is something to address either a vulnerability or a glitch, it made it easier for players to get that. And well, I- hypothetically, <laughs> it didn't actually work that way for several years. Well, there, yeah. there, were, there were a lot of problems upon launch. Um, there was a terrific server overload most of the time. Yeah, that was that that meant that the entire service was somewhat unsteady. It could crash at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. But and they furthermore were uh, including a bunch of DRM and and online authentication kind of things that yeah. were just gumming up the system. Yeah, and and the the valves. Valve's history with DRM is one of those things that a lot of players have cited as a negative about the company. Now, that's really something in the industry as a whole. It's, you know, the industry trying to make sure that people are not uh, exploiting the system. But, you know, depending upon how you implement that, it can be uh, restrictive, like beyond what it was intended to do. There are ways where this system can uh, restrict a person who has a legitimate copy of the game from playing that game. We'll talk about that a little bit <laughs> as well. So 
It also was a, a system that allowed for multiplayer modes on several games. You know, that was another purpose of the Steam platform. Uh, right. It could, it could again, hypothetically connect users for, for those multiplayer matches. Yeah. In those early days, it was certainly more hypothetical than, than realistic. Uh, in 2003, Valve LLC becomes Valve Corporation, which, uh, in my notes, I wrote, no longer would its liability be limited. Thun- thunder crash. That's yeah. a thunder crash noise. Um, or, or- Maybe a kitten. I don't know. I, Either one. I'm bad. I'm bad at sound effects, y'all. Uh, um, but 2003 was also the year that uh, that Steam officially launched because it was just an unveiled the previous year. Right, so, right. So it launched now in 2003. Right. And in 2004, Valve made an announcement that was met with some criticism. I think that this is more the thunder crash moment, actually. Yeah, this is when Valve said that all future games from from that company would require Steam to play. So even if it were a single-player offline game... That you, that you bought on a disc. You would have to have Steam as an authentication tool to be able to play it. Which, of course, means that if Steam is not uh, completely reliable, then you could have a game on your computer that is single-player. There's no online element to it at no all. No need you, to get online. That you cannot play because the service itself is down. Mm-hmm. And a lot of gamers said, that doesn't sound right. Right. Uh, so this was one of those things that was kind of a little um, controversial. I mean, ultimately, the Steam service got better. Uh, it, it took some time for it to get up to speed. But once it did and once it got better, uh, it started to add more value to games. And that was when gamers started to kind of come round Sure, but but that wouldn't happen for another couple of years. Yeah, back no. in these early days, Half Life Two also launched that year, and um, it it took players in some instances hours or even days to just get online to authenticate because of the server overload. Yeah, no, but Half Life Two would end up giving us things like Gary's Mod, right? Which ended up being huge in machinima circles. People were using Gary's Mod to create. Uh, little, uh, Machinima movies. Machinima, for those who do not remember, I mean, Tech Stuff did an episode ages ago about Machinima. It's essentially, uh, machine animation. It's using, uh, com- computer generated characters that are pre-generated by something like a video game as sort of digital puppets. And you use those to tell your stories. And then, uh, there are a lot of different examples out there. The one I always cite because it was what introduced me to Machinima is Red versus Blue, uh, from Rooster Teeth. But there are lots of different examples. And in fact, Gary's Mod ended up uh, being kind of a, you know, kind of a renaissance for that or really a, a launching point for a lot of people to create these uh, these creative projects. Uh, 2005, Valve ended up making agreements with third party publishers to allow non-Valve games in the Steam store. And this is really where things are starting to pick up for Steam because it's becoming a viable marketplace, not just mm-hmm. not just a thing where you could get a patch assuming that the system's up or just a thing that allows you to play your game because of the DRM. Uh, now you have a store where you can go and buy games and have and download the game and you never end up getting a physical you a know, physical copy. Copy at all. Exactly. You just you just buy it on in fact most gamers I think these days uh, as long as they have a decent internet connection, this is how they buy games now. You know, they're buying them online, downloading them, and usually you have some sort of cloud element. This is certainly true with Steam, but you have a cloud element where you can buy a game, install it on your computer, play it, 
And then if you ever were to need that space, you could delete it from your hard drive. And then maybe later down the road, you think, oh, I'd love I to play, play that, that game, game again. again. You could and download re-download it, again. it. Yeah, along with your saves. Yeah, because you, cause it's all cloud-based, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it weren't cloud-based, then you'd really be stuck. But uh, that was another thing that Steam did that, again, added value to the service and to the games themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think partially because they started becoming accountable to third-party publishers, they they really got their act together. I think that that was the, the tipping point of them going like, oh, I guess that we need to have more servers and uh, yeah, accountability sure that, for our services. Yeah, let's make it out. stable. And, yeah. yeah. They also added in achievements, which for some people is the only reason to play games, Uh and then also <laughs> that was a little bit of commentary. Well, I mean, I like I like achievements. I like the feeling I get when I unlock an achievement, but I don't like feeling there's some players who who treat it so like it's such an important part of the game that it almost feels like they're concentrating on getting the achievements and not experiencing the game. And then I feel like I get talked down to if I don't get all the achievements. Well, don't 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 hit on their version of gameplay. Let live and let live. I don't hate on the fact that they're wrong. I just point out that they're wrong. Anyway, uh, so they also introduced chat clients, things like that. So there are a lot of different elements to Steam besides just the uh, the store. Right. Uh, we're going to jump ahead to 2010. So. Between 2005 and 2010, a lot of stuff developed. But 2010 was when Steam got a makeover. Uh, the user interface was retooled, so it made it more attractive and easier to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also released versions for Mac and Linux. Yeah, big deal there, because uh, before that it was PC only, Windows-based PC only. You know, PC we use as just shorthand for Windows machine, but obviously personal computer could mean anything. Um the store also began to carry stuff besides games, like user-generated content. So, uh, again, expanding the the offering of Steam itself. And in 2011, that's when a bad story happened. Yeah, there was a big uh, hack hack attack. Yeah, right on Steam. I mean, it was and it was huge. I remember when this happened. I mean, I wasn't a Steam user at the time because. Uh, and, and we'll get into this when we talk about the Steam boxes themselves. I was one of those gamers who had migrated away from PCs and toward consoles. And we'll talk about kind of the reasoning behind that, which is one of the reasons why Valve is behind the Steam box thing in the first place. Anyway, uh, I was aware of this, but I wasn't affected by it directly. So hackers ended up uh, defacing the forums over at Valve. But then beyond that, the Valve employees discovered that the hackers had accessed some databases, which meant they potentially got their hands on things like credit card information and personal identification. So that raised a big scare. And months after it happened, uh, Newell went public saying, uh, we still haven't found any evidence that they actually took any recent personal information. However, they probably accessed a database which gave them access to all transactions that took place between 2004 and 2008. Ouch. Now, this is in, uh, in early 2012 when he made this announcement. So, again, these were transactions that were four years old. So, you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure the credit card information was no longer accurate. But still, when you have that personal identification, the trouble there is identity theft, not just someone's used your credit card which is minor in the grand scheme of things, but someone has access to your personal identification, which means they can do a lot more harm. Right. So that was uh, definitely a black mark against Steam. So, But then in 2012, um, that's when we start really getting toward the Steam box movement. That's when Valve announced that they were going to have big picture mode in Steam, which means that you would be able to enable this 
and that would optimize whatever game you were playing, whatever Steam-based game you were playing, for a television display, not a computer display. Right. So if you were to hook up your computer to a TV and put big picture mode on, it would actually optimize that to show on your big television. So this was the first step towards the Steambox movement. And in fact, some people started calling any sort of PC that you would hook up to your computer and use this a Steambox. Uh, right. And previously, people had found kind of kind of janky workarounds to, to making this happen. Yeah, but it wasn't optimized. It wasn't optimized. Yeah. And and, you know, this was still a little bit a little bit clunky. You know, you still had to have a PC keyboard and mouse rigged up in your living room. Yeah, you um, could play and- some games with a controller, but it's uh, it was a relatively you know, maybe somewhere between 50 and 70 percent of games. But that still left a lot of games out. Oh, sure. And even if something was controller compatible, you usually have to set them up yeah. with the mouse and keyboard. Right, right. Yeah. So, so you know, it wasn't uh, something that your average uh, player who is not a PC player, like, like you know, we, we think of gamers in different buckets often, like different populations. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, that's true. I mean, there are some gamers who identify themselves as console gamers. Oh, yes. And it's not that they look down on PC gamers. Oh, some of them do. Some of them do. But, but, <laughs> but it's just that, you know, the consoles are more attractive to them than a PC. Either the PC is too intimidating or they don't like the idea of a system that they need to upgrade fairly regularly in order to keep pace with the games that come out. There are a lot of different reasons. Uh, meanwhile, you have the the PC gamers who kind of, you know, they may, some of them, look down on console gamers because they like to be able to run stuff that is constantly pushing the envelope of what is possible graphically and and sound and all other aspects Mm -hmm. of gaming, right? And they might be a little bit more um, uh, technologically inclined in terms of being really excited about those specific bits of hardware and building the best machine. Right. And also, you know, you've got the whole Twitch-based argument of the fact that, you know, a keyboard and mouse gives you precise control compared to a, a gamepad. So there's a lot of different, you know, things between these different populations. But one thing that PC gamers do envy about console gamers is that it's really easy to play a console game on a big screen television. Not that it's impossible to play a PC game on a big screen television. It's just not, generally speaking, optimized or as easy. Mm-hmm. You know, because it wasn't it wasn't built with that purpose in mind. Right. And that's where Steam starts going, huh? Yeah. And, and that's that's where they, you know, it, it was really exciting that they were getting into this space and they wanted to let everyone know that they were really excited about it. Even even in these relatively early days of 2012, they were teasing the concept of Steam boxes pretty hard. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, speculation when big picture mode came out as is Valve making some hardware? Are they going to get into the console game by building what is essentially a computer but has all the benefits of a console and that it's simple to set up? It, you know, even if you are intimidated by building your own computer, this is some, this is a different avenue you can go to that will give you access to all the benefits of uh, the Steam library, but without the, the hardship of either uh, planning out or building a gaming PC. But that was before we actually knew any details about Steambox. So we've got a lot more to say about Steamboxes, you know, now that we're actually getting into the topic. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right, back to Steamboxes. So we've teased it, but it wasn't until last year. That's 2013. Spoiler alert, it's 2014 now. But, but last year in 2013 that we finally start to hear more details about a 
an actual honest to goodness steam box. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly through Valve's announcement that they were creating a Steam OS. Yeah. So Steam operating system. So th- this is beyond the the platform that's online where you can, you know, shop for games and and uh have your DRM authenticated. <laughs> this is actually an operating system that sits on top of another operating system, Linux. So Linux is an open source operating system, meaning that people are free to get at that source code and alter it and make their own versions of Linux. These are called distributions or distros. Um, and so SteamOS is sort of a flavor of Linux, or at least it's built on top of an Ubuntu-based Linux operating system. Now, this is interesting. Uh, it definitely harkens back to their days of Half-Life and opening up the software developer kit, mm-hmm. saying that they like the ability of people, if they want to get down and dirty and, and modify stuff, then this is kind of in line with that. Uh, sure. And they also were making sure that, that by using Linux, they could offer SteamOS as a free download. Yes, because you didn't have to worry about paying a, a licensing fee like you would if you were buying something that was Windows-based or Mac OS-based. Uh, there are some limitations. We'll get into those in a little bit. Uh, but you know, it was, uh, it's an interesting approach. They also announced that, uh, that both the Steam OS and the desktop platform would be gaining some features. Uh, right. Streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, family sharing, what? uh, which, which means that it's, it's like a digital borrowing system that'll let up to 10 Steam accounts pull from the same library. Um, just not simultaneously. Like you can't have more than one account working on the same game at the same time. This is but, this is a big deal for you know families or you know maybe it's or groups a, of friends, yeah, or, groups of friends or whatever, where you've got you know a bunch of people who are uh, interacting often. Like I I just think of like your typical family where you might have a couple of you know a couple of kids. You've got maybe maybe the adults like to play too. Uh, if you're going with an old system where it's one account per console, then that really can limit, you know, what each person can do, especially if you are interested in things like achievements, right? So Lauren, if you and I share an account on Xbox, like if we're sharing a tech stuff account, which by the way, does not exist, so don't go looking for it. <laughs> or if it does exist, it's not us. Right. Um, but if we were sharing that account and then you went in and played a game and then later on, I, I'm like, oh, I want to play that game too. And I keep wondering why I'm not good at this game because I haven't unlocked any achievements. And then I go and check and I see, oh, it's because Lauren unlocked all the achievements when she went on that marathon gaming spree three days ago. That's, you know, not a very satisfying experience. So this digital borrowing or sharing program allows multiple people to have that kind of experience on their own. And yet, because it doesn't allow simultaneous play, it also doesn't, you know, end up making game developers feel like they're, they're being taken they're advantage being shorted, of. They're being shorted, sure. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to those things, also some, some parental restriction abilities mm-hmm. and, uh, more media playback kind of stuff. Which is really important these days. I mean, you've got a lot of consoles. Well, that, when you're doing something in, in that living room space, you're expected to have media capacity. Especially with the precedent that's been set. I mean, the fact that you can access all sorts of different streaming options on various consoles. I mean, everything has at least a few options. Uh, that was really important. So, um, yeah, this is a, the basis. The Steam OS was really what got people talking about the fact that there was going to be a, a Steam box. Now, at that time, there still was no official word 
on whether or not Valve was going to make one itself or if it was going to be a third party thing. Valve did end up making 300 Steam boxes. Uh, the prototypes that they were releasing as a or I guess are kind of currently releasing as a beta. Yeah. And uh, those 300, as far as we know, that's all there ever will be. Valve has not said that they are ever going to make more. They might. But they have not, at least as of the recording of this podcast, they have not said that they're ever going to make any more. So those 300, that's it. Yeah. Um, but then they, they are, of course, um, I mean, since they're not making their own hardware, that means that they are opening that license up to any number of hardware partners. Yeah. And SteamOS, because it's free to download, technically you can build your own. You mm-hmm. can build your own Steambox. You don't have to go out and buy a branded Steambox computer. Sure. So, uh, but here's, here's kind of the reasoning behind it. So, we talked about how console players, one of the things that they benefit from is the fact that it's really easy to set up and play a console, right? The consoles are made with a certain set of specifications. They plug directly into your entertainment center. Yeah, it's, it's really simple. It's plug and play. You just go out, you buy a box, you you open the box, and it's all the stuff that you need right off the bat. You don't need to futz with wires and, yeah. and worry about, you know, oh, is this bit compatible with that bit? And is it the best bit that I can possibly buy? It's just, nope, that's it. That's what you get. Right. And then if you buy a game for that system, it'll it work on that system. Yep. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> There are, of course, exceptions when some manufacturing flaw happens. But, you know, generally speaking, you buy a game for a system, it'll work on that system. So uh, but that comes in a premium. Yeah, it does. It, it Well, it also it depends, too, because there's another benefit that these companies have in that Microsoft, Sony and Nintendo, they all are not just in the hardware business. They're also in the game business. Right. So that means that these game these companies can mark down those consoles so that they can sell them for less money. They, they can essentially sell them at a loss, but they can make up that loss in game sales because they're also in the, the business of producing games. Right. Now, this puts them at an advantage over uh, Steambox manufacturers, which for the most part, they're just making the hardware. So a Steambox manufacturer cannot mark down the Steambox without just taking the hit because there's nowhere else for them to make money. Right, right. So yeah, that that's one of the big challenges for Steambox manufacturers is being able to price their products so that they are making a profit. Uh but you know, that means that these are in general probably gonna be a little more expensive than your average video game console is because they can't they can't discount it and then make it up in the video games themselves because they're not in the video game business. Uh right, sure. Although, you know, I, I would argue that Steam boxes have a have a advantage as a species here because you know, top of the line for hardware changes what, like hourly? Yeah. Um, and even with with modern consoles, firmware updates and storage upgrades and and that undercut of prices that they can that they can accomplish <laughs> just by being vertical. Um, you know, the big three, uh, Wii and uh, you know, Nintendo, Xbox, and PlayStation, sure, all have to design something that is going to last for years, for right. like five plus years. Meaning that that even games like five or six years down the road, they're still going to be capped by whatever whatever Physical hardware capacity, you have. Right, you yeah. had on the original console. Right, right. Whereas Steambox, at least in theory, you could have a machine that could be upgradable. Now, some of the manufacturers have built that into, or at least we assume that's being built in, because they, they've unveiled them at CES 2014, but these are things that are 
going to become available throughout 2014, like right now. Oh, and beyond. I mean, and I'm sure that, you know, and and that's kind of my my other concept here, that as a a species, your Steam boxes are going to be able to evolve, whereas the Xbox One is what it is. Yeah. And if it's a box that is allow that allows the user to upgrade it, that makes perfect sense, right? Well, not not even not even upgrades I'm talking about, but but just, you know, the fact that a company can come out with a new Steam box and capture a new segment of the of the audience that it perhaps had not captured before. The danger of that though, I would argue, is that you might confuse the consumer. Like it all depends on who the Steam box is, is aimed at, right? Oh, sure. If the Steam box is aimed at at console players, who so far have not really gotten into PC games, then you run the risk of confusing the market because you have t- so many different choices with different capabilities. Whereas, you know, the old console game, one size fits all. I mean, you might have different models that have different hard drive space size. Sure. And, and some people might not be tolerant. I, I totally see your point of, of getting in there and figuring out which box to purchase. And because the, the discussion we're having right now is actually making me think a lot about smartphones. So, for example, an iPhone user and an Android user have different experiences in that iPhones come out once a year, usually. I assume Ish. so far that's going to be the case because yeah. it's not like the iPad where occasionally three of them come out in a year. But iPhones come out once a year. So even if you are upgrading every year and you're paying extra money so that you can do it, um, it's once a year. Whereas Android, if you buy an Android smartphone – the next week, you could have a newer phone come out that blows the one you just bought out of the water. So, uh, But you also, I mean, you know, for using the two of us as an example, I have a very, I don't care that much about about customizing my smartphone experience. So an iPhone is just fine. I, I'm fine with keeping one for three or four years because that's, that's all I need. I don't right. really need anything fancier. Whereas I, you know, you took a much more personalized approach about it and found have found ones that you are excited about from very specific brands. Right. I just think that as a gamer, that makes it really tricky because because, you know, as a gamer, I want to have personally, I want to have a system that's going to run the best games at the best uh, uh, the best settings for as long as I possibly can. And in this approach, that's tricky because even if you are buying a top of the line steam box for by the way a huge premium you could end up building a computer much less expensive than some of the high high end steam boxes i mean the top of the line is like $6000 that's a really expensive computer um if you know you could go out and buy the most expensive one but you do so knowing that because of this rapid development it's going to be outdated before too terribly long. So it's tough to to justify that kind of investment for a certain po- population, right? I mean, there, I'm sure there's some people out there who $6,000, they're like, yeah, I'm going to be paying another $6,000 in six months. But hey, I have a gold jet. So what do I care? <laughs> that, that's that, I think for the vast population, that's not true. It's But see, here's the other thing is that if this is actually aimed at PC gamers, the Steam box is... Uh, then, then you have other questions, right? Like, okay, uh, I'm a PC gamer. I've got uh, a tower, you know, at home where it's my PC rig. 
It Maybe I don't want to bring that rig into the living room, and that's what's preventing me. Because technically, I could just download SteamOS. I could use big picture mode. I could just port that entire machine over into the living room and hook it up and everything would be cool. Maybe it wouldn't look so nice because it's an enormous tower. Maybe then I would want a Steam box because I could uh, use that as a secondary gaming device hooked up to the television. Uh, it would also address one of the other problems of Steambox that I'll get into in a second. Um, that would, I guess, make sense, except that if I'm a, if I'm a PC gamer and I've got a long history of either building a gaming rig or knowing exactly what I want, I'm not sure that I would go out and buy a, uh, a, a, a Steambox, a branded Steambox rather than build my own. So in other words, I'm not sure who the Steambox is for is what I'm getting at. Because if it's for the console gamer, it's really confusing to have so many flavors. If it's for the PC gamer, a lot of them already have built their own gaming rigs. So I don't know that they'd be tempted, right? I see what you're saying. And I think that what they're hoping to do here is utilize all the best parts of both console and PC gaming. They're therefore, uh, you know, marketing this to everybody mm-hmm. and and what they're hoping and again this might be this might be a pretty high hope um is that they're going to avoid all of the downfalls of each also mm-hmm. and and I'm not you know I'm I'm not positive how well that's going to work out but you know they've they've got some good things going for them they've they've potentially they're potentially connecting a huge list of established gamers you know they've got like 65 million active gamers on Steam Circa right. uh, from from as of November 2013. Yeah, in fact, they've even uh, poked fun at other companies, saying, "Oh, it's so nice that you got 10 million. I remember when we <laughs> had 10 million. Yeah, yeah, they're they're certainly not above a wee bit of snark there. Um, but but they're you know they're potentially connecting this this list of established gamers with a new console market. Mm-hmm. And as, as we've all seen with stuff like this, it can be really hard for new hardware to gain adopters unless it has an exciting game library at launch, right? Right, right. Um, well, a, s- simple example. I have yet to buy an Xbox One because I'm still waiting for the game that I really want to play. Absolutely. Um, and conversely, it can be really hard to convince developers to create games for new hardware unless they're assured a large player base. Catch-22. Yep. Um, Steam already has at least 300 games available that run on Linux, which is a small portion of their overall game library, which is like 3,000. Still a huge library to start for launch. Like if you think of a typical game company launching a console, you're talking about launch titles that usually you're talking maybe a couple dozen. Maybe. So 300 is, is pretty impressive. Uh-huh. And their their blockbuster games are basically the, the Valve games, but they do have a lot of, of really popular indies involved in that yeah i, th- I think um uh don't starve yeah perhaps yeah that's Fez, yeah i, I remember like hearing about don't starve i haven't played that one but uh i know that um i think gone home was on steam and uh yeah definitely gone home by the way uh i just downloaded it the other day actually, okay i haven't played I, yet i won't spoil it Thank for you, you. I've heard great things about it. Phenomenal. I I think it's more of an interactive story than a game, maybe, but which, it's a great story. Oh, which sounds good because I, I'm one of those people that genuinely enjoyed not only Mist, but also Riven. Yeah. No, um, it's, it's really well done. <laughs> yes. Very highly recommended. Cool. Okay. Uh, an, another good point that I think the Steam, bo- Steam boxes, Steam, I keep wanting to say Steam, Steam boxing. boxing. That's what I always, <laughs> I end up saying, calling it that too. I'm just going to call it, that's the plural, Steam boxing. There we go. We are we are making decisions here yes. at Tech Stuff today. Um, you know, they can. One of the things about Valve is that 
they can really undercut the big three consoles game prices. Oh, holy. Yes, um, they certainly can. Because Steam is isn't beholden to brick and mortar stores the way yeah. that they are. Um, you know, there, there's an advantage for brick and mortar stores to keep game disc prices above a certain minimum. Sure. And Steam's sales, if you guys have never been on Steam sales, they are the best things ever on the entire. I mean, you can get incredible games for a dollar, yeah. a couple dollars. Well, and see, here's the thing is that they count on the fact that people will indulge in impulse buys during those sales. I know people who have bought games that they had never intended to buy, but they were so cheap that it was one of those things. That said, I have to act on it now because it's a sale. So eventually it's going to the price is going to go back up. Mm-hmm. And even though I may never play this game, it's never going to be this price again. So I'm going to buy it. All right. It's kind of an incredible play on psychology. Oh, yeah. Also, it means that people get access to games that they might not ever have played otherwise, and they broaden their gaming horizons. Sure, sure. You know, and so furthermore, I think that Valve is really hoping that with with SteamOS, games will be able to get more out of the hardware than your average gaming PC, since the system can be more streamlined, um, thus helping keep box prices down a little bit. Although gotcha. certainly everything that you were saying earlier, Jonathan, about... um About the fact that the manufacturers don't have a direct stake in the video games makes it a lot harder. to Absolutely. And, and plus, you know, here's another thing. You know, I, I mentioned that I don't know who these Steam boxes are for or Steam boxing are for. Uh, that's really not Valve's problem either. You know, sure. they're, they're just making the platform. They're not making the hardware. So they're not running any risk, really. They're just creating yet another way for their games to become available and playable in the living room space. I mean, so hypothetically, if anybody adopts this, it's time well spent. And even if, even if all the manufacturers who are building branded Steam boxing, even if those never take off, if if players, if gamers go out and they build their own living room PCs running Steam OS, that's still a win for Valve. Yeah. So in a way, it's a brilliant strategy because there's very little risk and huge reward. Sure. Uh, okay, so what are some of these other problems that we're looking at for wide adoption? Okay, so Lauren, uh, I'm, in my, I'm in my living room and I want to play me some games, but I don't want to be doing that WASD and mouse click scheme for controlling. What do I do? You use a controller? Yeah, but we're talking PC games, you know. Do they make controllers that work with PCs? Actually, Valve <laughs> makes their own controller that works with this PC. That is the only hardware, I think, mostly but, other besides than the prototypes, those yeah. 300 betas um that they are actually producing in-house and there are some excellent galleries of their prototypes up up online. Yeah, I know that they they changed it recently, uh recently as of the recording of this podcast that mm-hmm. there was a, a they kind of it underwent a, a makeover where I think they even added some more buttons and removed some other stuff. Oh, there's so many buttons. Um, it's they, they settled on this two trackpad design uh, using trackpads instead, instead of, of thumbsticks. thumbsticks. Sure. Um, and the trackpads include haptic and audio feedback mm-hmm. so that you can feel and hear what they're doing. Um, which sounds pretty cool to me. I haven't seen it, but that's but that's the kind of that's the kind of sentence that makes me excited about I, a controller. See, and I saw it at CES, but their line to oh, actually use it was I'm so sure. long that I didn't have a chance to play with it, and yeah. I really wanted to because I was like, I want to. Th- I understand that it takes a little getting used to the trackpad, but once you do, it's natural. It's not like something where 
after five or six game sessions, you're still thinking like, oh, this is terrible. Like, apparently, like within half an hour, you're thinking, oh, this is this, this is makes fun. perfect sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's and, and different, I've, but it works. I've heard that it is a very design specific experience that that right takes you a little bit of of getting used to, yeah. but um, also in order to solve some of the problems of porting a keyboard into a controller, since there are many more buttons on a keyboard than you could possibly ever fit on even ex- an extremely fancy controller. Right. Um, you know, they, they do have a bunch of buttons, but they also have a, uh, a little, a little customizable display screen so yeah. that you can program virtual buttons in there. I- and, and players can even create, I mean, uh, like with anything, players can create for any given game, uh, a button configuration. Right. They can map buttons to mm-hmm. specific functions. But then they can share them online and um, and and it'll have a little ranking for the most popular ones so that if you don't want to spend that half an hour, 45 minutes at the beginning of your game experience setting up a custom control, you can download a few popular ones and see what works for you. So gamers, here's my advice for you. First, become the best at any given video game. Second, create a fake controller configuration that you claim is what gives you that amazing ability. Put that online. Anyone who downloads it will be worse than you are because you're using the real configuration that you keep just for your own purposes. Also, have enough friends to upvote that crappy thing. Yes. Yeah. You, you may it may require you to actually make lots of friends. Which maybe if you're the kind of person who is doing this sort of underhanded gaming scheme, you're not the kind of person who has a lot of friends. Maybe if you're a host on a popular podcast and you have this plan, your listeners will totally back you up on it and you will dominate in at least one video game. Come on, people, give me this one thing. That's all I'm asking. I've heard you let out peals of megalomaniacal laughter before, and actually that was the most, like, Bond villain that I've ever heard you sound. I, I get a little Blofeld occasionally. Oh. Uh, I, this is not cat hair on me. It's actually dog hair. But otherwise, I'm very, very close to my Spectre friends. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that, that that controller was certainly a challenge. How do you make a controller that will work with these computer-based games uh, but within the context of a living room, and you know, and I with have, that twitch capacity that people talk about for for right. preferring the mouse and keyboard, yeah, that versus, precision mm-hmm. exactly. So it, you know, I haven't used it yet, so I don't know personally what it's like. But the reports I've seen have said that it's really you know, once you get the hang of it, once you get over that learning curve, it's it's pretty natural. So uh, now we're going on to some other some other challenges. The uh, the big one that I think is this one's getting a little technical, folks. But uh, so a lot of PC games, a lot of games rather, are being made specifically for Windows based PCs because that tends to be the operating system that most gamers are using. So if you're a game developer and you want the largest potential audience, you're obviously going to develop games for that platform. And then if you have the capacity and time, you'll develop it for other platforms as well. Right. But, sure. but if, if, you know, if you're looking out there and 80% of your, your intended audience is using one platform, that's what you develop for. Well, there's this collection of application programming interfaces that are all collected under a, a, a label of DirectX, which is from Microsoft. 
So this is lots of different stuff that is involved in video games and other multimedia applications. But in particular, Direct3D would be a good example. So you're talking about like uh, rendering engines, things like that, that video game developers use. And that means that in order for you to play those video games, you have to run an operating system that's that's uh, uh, compatible. compatible. So here's the thing. It's a Microsoft product. So take a wild guess at what operating system is compatible with it. Uh, that would be Windows. So if you are running a game that has uh, that, that re- relies on DirectX and you want to run it on Linux, you can't. Linux has its own open source approach called OpenGL. Right. Which is, uh, its own rendering engine. Uh, so that would, if it's a game that's been developed for Linux, then you're fine, right? If it's any Linux based game, it'll run on a Steam box just fine. But if it's a Windows based DirectX game, it won't. So how do you get around that? Cause like you were saying, Lauren, 300 titles or so on Steam are Linux compatible right now. And the other, uh, 2,700 plus games are, are not. not. So how do you, how do you get around that problem? Well, the way that they're, suggesting that this works. And this is why I think it makes sense that uh, this is what makes me feel like they're marketing it toward a PC gaming population already is that they you could stream the content from one computer that is Windows based or even Mac based if you're a Mac Steam player and there are Mac Steam players out there, too. But if you're Windows based, you'd be running the game on your Windows based computer and streaming it to the Steam box that's in your living room. So it's a, a multi-step process. You're, you're kind of running, not really an emulator, but you know, you're putting all the commands through the Steam box, but that's sending it to your main computer, which is running the actual game. Uh, it's not the most elegant of solutions because it requires you to have at least two computers. You uh, have to have the sure. Steam box and the PC. And that's also going to be a little bit of a bottleneck, I'd imagine, with, uh, with your network system. Yeah. If you're, if you are not, you know, if you're running an old version of the wireless, uh, uh, the, the wireless standards will, first of all, just go and get a new router because they're not that expensive and it'll really help you out. But if there are a lot of demands on that router system, then that could be a problem. Uh, if you don't have a good connection, like if either hardwired or wireless in your home, that could be a problem. It can be spotty or go in and out, even even if you've got really good equipment in there. And it's also expensive because it mm-hmm. means that you have to have two computers capable, capable of, of doing this right, stuff. Sure. So you have to have one that's capable of running the game and one that's capable of being hooked up to your, your living room, which is why, again, that I think that a lot of players are going to take it upon themselves to build their own devices. Now, you could, if you built your own device, you could, in theory, uh, dual boot. So you could uh-huh. run Linux operating system and Windows on the same computer because you, you create yeah. a, essentially a virtual partition. Right, right. But that also would mean that uh, you wouldn't be necessarily running Steam OS, but you could maybe run big picture mode. So in other words, there are a lot of different workarounds. It's also why I really feel ultimately that a lot of gamers uh, are going to go with build your own. I mean, people who don't want to really take that time, obviously the Steam box is the easier approach, but you still need that secondary computer if you want to take advantage of all those Windows-based games. Uh, Sure. I think that what Valve is banking on here is that big developers are going to see potential in Steam boxes and and 
have the resources to do ports of all of their popular games sure. that they're going to want to do ports. Well, and also they're they're creating a new market too this way. So if they create a market that's incredibly attractive to gamers, then the developers are going to follow suit. They're going to start developing games specifically for the Linux platform, not necessarily for Windows. So in the long run, this could be a power play that hurts Microsoft because if they shift the balance over to Linux-based systems and game developers say, well, now our audience is here, we don't need to worry about Windows so much, that could, in the long term, hurt other, you know, PC manufacturers. Oh, definitely. Uh, Valve has also talked about being less worried about, about Microsoft and Sony as they are about Apple. Um, they've, they've talked about, you know, the, the potential of Apple to come out with an, with an Apple TV update that's going mm-hmm. to bring the App Store to the living room. And, you know, citing the fact that the, the, the iPad has had such a huge upset on PC sales and that, you know, if, if Apple chose to, they could absolutely do the same thing in this home entertainment gaming market. Right. And, you know, as Tech Stuff has predicted for, I think, five consecutive years, that Apple TV is on the way. <laughs> I think, did, did we actually make that we prediction this year? We didn't do it this year. year. We oh, didn't I'm do it sorry. This year. I'm sorry, Chris. Which which may mean <laughs> this is the year to see it. But, uh, yeah, this was the first year, I think, in a, in a while where we have not predicted that Apple will come out with a TV. I, You know, it's certainly a space that they have to be watching because there's so many different players in that in that area and no one has dominated it yet. I mean, you can argue that the consoles have definitely, you know, they disrupted it quite a bit, too. Because, oh, sure. You know, yeah. why would you need a smart TV if the console that you're already using is really smart that makes your dumb TV work just like a smart TV? Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, it may be that I'm just too short-sighted, and that's the problem. Maybe I just don't see it. But like I said, I think Valve's strategy ultimately is brilliant because very low risk on themselves, huge potential reward. Mm-hmm. The, it's the manufacturers that I worry about. Although I mean, like like Alienware is signed up to to make Steam yeah. Boxen, so yeah. And if if you know, if Alienware ends up having a couple of models of its computers not do so well, ultimately, oh yeah, Dell isn't going to sweat that one. I mean, but, that's going to be yeah. okay in the long run. Yeah, because Alienware has definitely got a name for itself in the gaming space, anyway. Uh, but but I think that that the you know such a large company and and forward facing popular long running company like that if if they're willing to throw in with this then it's it's got an at least some potential yeah yeah so we'll we'll wait and see how it turns out i mean uh i don't know that i'll run out and buy a steam box immediately but i might actually start looking into building a a living room pc because there are a lot of games that come out for the pc that i have not played that I would love to play on my my television. And also, uh, there are games that come out for the consoles, and I am fully aware that the versions that come out for the PCs often have... Are better. Yeah, they're better. They have better graphics. They have better, sometimes better gameplay. Sometimes they have additional content. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Uh, I'm also lazy, so we'll see. Uh, it may be that I'm just sticking with console. It may be that I'm sticking with the last generation of consoles. We'll we'll have to wait. But anyway, if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter. Our handle at all three locations is techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 